Good morning. As, as we've been going through this series, I hope that we have allowed it to settle in. I hope we're seeing that God doesn't always do things in a way that we'd approve of. You know, that God doesn't always do things in a way that we would like. He doesn't always do things in our timing. And he doesn't always do things in a way that even makes sense to us. But because, but because he's God, he doesn't have to, Right? And the Bible reveals this God as perfect. And so this God, this perfect God, has, um, who doesn't need our, our approval, he doesn't need our advice, has invited us, broken vessels. How many of you recognize you're a broken vessel? Has invited us, broken vessels, into a covenant of trust. One that says no matter, no matter how we may fail to trust him implicitly, no matter how we may fall that he, the other part of this covenant, will never fail us. Amen? And this morning, I, I just want to remind us that no matter what has been promised to you, because we're going to see God keeps his promises this morning. I don't know what he's promised to you, and I don't know what he's promised to your neighbor, but I know this, that God will keep his end of the bargain. Amen? That God is going to keep his end and he'll accomplish his will in his way and in his time. So again, I'm not saying the way you've interpreted his promise or the way you may want to see the promises that you desire for yourself and we attribute God onto that. Ever done that? Ever projected this is what God wants? But God will have his way and he'll keep his promises. And In Genesis 21, where we'll be today... I don't know, other than Jesus, I'm not sure that there are, few, there are few births as highly anticipated as Isaac's birth. Today we're going to look at the promised son coming into the world. And I think it's fair to note, I think it's fair to note that we should marvel at this miracle. Okay? Sometimes we have a tendency to underplay the miraculous. Sometimes we have a tendency to underplay how significant these events are because, well, we're reading about them in the Bible. Right? Don't read the Bible expecting to read these kind of things. And so in our lives, we have a tendency to take a significant event like this and underplay it. I mean, I, I don't know if like, if it's as, you know, the Lion King, like they hold up Isaac and it's like a Simba moment, but, but I do believe it's really significant when you look at, at someone who in terms of fertility has a womb that's dead twice. It's not just that she's well past the years of menopause. It's that she's always been barren. And it is as if in this story with Sarah that it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough for God to just say, I want to bring life from the barren. I want to open the womb of the infertile. It was like God said, hey, I want to open the womb of the infertile. And I want to do it once the ovaries have completely shut down. I want to do it so that absolutely nobody can take credit for this but me. And that people will turn and honor me by what I'm doing in the life of the people that I love, that were created in my image. And I, I think that today, if we heard of this, if we read of this, it would still floor us. In 2018, if we found out a 90-year-old woman had given birth to a baby... And, and then we found out that this woman, her entire life had been barren. It doesn't matter what network you like to watch. You're, it would be newsworthy. 
It would be global news and it would hit us on our televisions or on our phones. No matter where we are, we would hear of this. Agreed? In fact, uh, this is the following is a detail from an article that was printed September 8th, 1981 in the Chicago Tribune. It says this, a woman whose ovaries ceased to function almost three years ago have given birth to a healthy nine pound baby girl, baffling doctors at three different hospitals. It is impossible. It's impossible. The 35 year old woman quoted the doctor saying when they detected a fetal heartbeat, in effect, the birth took place after the woman had gone through menopause. The woman had been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and was told that she did not have to worry about getting pregnant. A further complication was that this woman particularly was on hormone medication to ease the symptoms of menopause at such an early age. These medications typically serve as very effective contraceptives. Dr. Jerry Rakoff, director of the Scripps Clinical, Clinic Medical Group's Fertility Center, had confirmed the diagnosis of another physician, but was also the one who eventually discovered the patient was pregnant. Rakoff said neither he nor Dr. Jen Willens of the University Hospital, who delivered the baby on August 18th, had ever heard of a birth by a woman so well documented with a case of premature ovarian failure. At that time, in 1981, Rakoff said that there is no medical therapy that exists to reverse premature ovarian failure. Now today, I don't know if that, that process can be reversed or not, but at this time, this was the response of the medical world less than 40 years ago. Not to mention the thousands of years it's been since we hear of the story of Sarah and the unimaginable medical advances since. This was the response in 1981 to a woman who, who was known to be barren and, and gone through menopause having a baby. In fact, Sarah's response to the initial notion was this. In verse 10 of chapter 18 in Genesis, it says, The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah went out. And they were old and getting up in years. So Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, and her response was, she laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? The entire chapter we're about to get into in Genesis 21. The entire chapter that we're about to examine cannot be understated. We too often today downplay the miraculous. And maybe in our comfort, maybe in our own numbness, maybe in our tendency like Wade just sang about to come in and walk through the rigor or the ritual of, of quote unquote worship, we distance ourselves from the God of the Bible. Not meaning to, not knowing to, but we, we have a tendency to forget that he's still, Jesus is still the healer. And he's the God of the miraculous. And he works outside the bounds of our reasons. And here's the, here's the beauty of it. He has invited us in. Last week, Pastor Lynn led us through the fact that he has welcomed us into a covenant. And it's, a, it's not a contract that can be broken. He, in fact, desires to come close to us. The narrative of Scripture is that he desires intimacy with you and I, and he desires that we would come close with awe and with wonder. And we would, we would witness this morning that the God of Abraham, who we, we see move in this historical way in his life, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this morning, as you sit here and I sit here, this is our God. 
as well. It's the same God who desires to not only make promises and be in relationship and be in covenant with you and I, but it's that we would trust him implicitly and be willing to follow him wherever he would lead, even if it didn't make sense because we trust that he keeps his promises. This morning in chapter 21, let's, let's just begin. Verse 1, I just want to read this first verse because I think this is really important to read and stop. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Enough said, right? Let's pack it up, go home. Point one, God will do what he promised. Amen? Not, not what you promised, but God will do what he promised. And how many of you for this morning, that's encouraging. That's encouraging this morning that God's not a liar. And Hebrews 13, five says that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That he'll never leave you and he'll never break a promise to you. This had been 25 years after the promise had been made. I mean, 25 years later, 25 years ago, they were made a promise. Abraham 75 is told, you'll have a son and it's gonna come forth from your barren wife. And she's gonna have that son, even though she's been barren and, and she's well up in age, this, this child's coming. And 12 years after that promise, 12 years after that promise, Sarah looks at, the situation and goes, in shame, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me standing in the way of what God wants to do. So let me help. Let me interfere. And the indecent proposal of Hagar is presented. 12 years after that, God shows up and says, now it's time. 24 years after the promise, he shows up in chapter 18 and says, now it's time. In a year's time, she's going to bring forth a child. And it's not going to come by Hagar. It's going to come forth from your barren wife whose ovaries are twice dead. And, and, and I'm going to give you my son of promise, Isaac. My covenant is with him. It's going to happen. And in skepticism and in response, she laughs because it just doesn't make sense. A year after Isaac is born, 25 years after the promise, and there's Sarah nursing her baby. And under her mother's care, is Isaac is bonding with his mother. Hello? Like this is not, this should be exciting. This is relieving. This is not just something we breeze over in the Bible, but that, that we recognize, hey, 25 years in our flesh seems really long, but how many of you are 40 or older? How many realize 25 years goes real quick? And in God's timing, God's timing, a God who is eternal, 25 years is a blink. It's but a vapor, the Bible says. And so we can trust God. That can't be understated. Amen. We can trust him. Can you trust him? Even when things around you are falling down because you have made a mistake, You serve a God and you're in covenant with a God that despite your failures will not leave you and won't break a promise to you. You can trust him. Too often we try to impose on God our own failures, our own hurts. We try to impose on God our own, our own disappointments and we try to humanize him causing disbelief. Let me read on. In verse 2, it says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son, 
who's born to him, the one Sarah bore him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him and God, as God had commanded. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Let's look at the response of Sarah. She laughs a second time, not a first time, a second. We already saw her laugh once in skepticism. We already laughed. We already see her laugh in a way that we might be able to relate to because it doesn't make sense. And God's about to do something that works outside the bounds of reason. We see her laugh a second time in amazement. How many of you have ever been proven wrong by God? How many of you have ever been grateful to be proven wrong by God? And you find yourself breathing deeper. You go, and you're relieved when when you didn't know when that check was going to come in. You weren't sure how you were going to pay rent that time. You weren't sure if they're going to keep the lights on. And God showed up and you find yourself at your mailbox going, there is a God. And you, and you can't help yourself but smile because God will do what God promises. And so Sarah laughs the second time in amazement and astonishment and says, the world will laugh with me in astonishment because Simba's here. <laughs> she delights in the promises and provision of God. I want to read um, an excerpt. It's from... The message, but I just like the way Eugene Peterson uh, transcribed this in Romans. It says in Romans 4 So, how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, hinge on that. If what he did got God to approve him, then he could certainly take credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and that was the turning point. That he trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see the job is too big for you, that's something only God can do and you trust him in it, You could never do it yourself, no matter how hard or long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God. By God, it's a sheer gift. David confirmed it this way, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate are those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from slate, Fortunate is the person who against the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never heard of his ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him, that Abraham was declared fit for God. By us entering in and trusting him. This is a God story, not an Abraham story. This is key. 
Abraham consciously makes a decision to trust and enter into a promise with God that moves him forward in a deepened personal faith rather than, rather than putting on an autopilot. How many of you have ever been guilty of simply attending? He actively enters in and he's not going to do that. He's not going to simply simply put it on all the Remember last week, I feel like Lynn did an amazing job of explaining to us the difference between covenant and contract. That we've been welcomed into a covenant despite how we might fail him, he will not fail us. And no matter how we fail, we, he's not gonna leave us. We don't get out of the contract. It is forever binding. When I do, when I do marriages, oftentimes uh, we want to reveal in a marriage like, just how unified we are. Like there's unity candle picture. How many of you seen the three, cran- the, the cord thing? Like the strand, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's another thing that is taught. In first century Judaism, no matter wherever a journeyer went, they carried with them pouches of salt. That pouch of salt served a myriad of reasons. It was ointment, it was additive, it, you know, like we do, it added flavor. Um, it was a preservative, it preserved meat. We didn't have refrigeration then. And so wherever people would go, they carried with them pouches of salt. And it says that lawfully, if they found someone that they wanted to make covenant with, they were expected to exchange, exchange salt out of their own pouch and put it into their partners and vice versa. It was also said that at any point that they had a falling out later in life and they broke covenant, that they were expected to meet up at a central place, find a table, and each of which empty his or her own property onto the table. The whole pouch emptied. What was expected was for he or she to take back his or her original property. This was expected. So with that said, it was a, it was a visual representation that all covenants under God are eternal and they cannot be broken because it would be impossible to take back his original property. We're not Indian givers and we don't serve a God who's an Indian giver. It was a picture that no matter what we do, no matter how we do it, we're not gonna find ourselves on the, the end of God's stiff arm. Hello? That he won't leave us and he's not gonna take back what he promised to us. Thus, he won't allow us to take back what we promised to him. No matter how many times we think we have, How many of us have found ourselves at these altars repeatedly laying down habitual sin? God says, repeatedly cast your cares upon me because I love you. It's not because I need you to. I don't ask you to pray because I I, I have to or I expect it. I let you pray because you can. Hello? And so this morning, God will do what he promised. And we have to be able to actively join in that because we are partakers of his promise. Hello? We get to partake in the promise of God. Point two, we are allowed to enter in. Let me continue reading. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not become a co-heir with my son Isaac. This was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. 
Whatever Sarah does, listen to her. Because your offspring will trace through Isaac. And I will also make a nation of the slave's son, because he is your offspring. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and the water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under the bushes and went and sat a distance, about a bow shot away, for she said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. While she at a distance wept loudly, God heard the boy crying, and the angel Lord came to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying from the place where he was. Get up. Help the boy up, grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew and settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him in the land of Egypt. Though we often mess up, God himself allows us to come in and he himself steps in to bless us because our lives are hidden in his. He is compassionate when we are ignorant. Hello? He's compassionate when we are ignorant, unknowingly still welcoming us in. It had been 25 years since the promise had been first given. His timing isn't always ours. And thus, when you look at the timeline of how these people responded, I think there's, there's some, we can all relate, but there's this evidence of compassion by God for like their interference. It's like, look, I, I know you don't know my time, but you've got to be willing to wait a minute. Wait on me. 25 years is not that long. So he's compassionate when we second guess ourselves and our worthiness to be in covenant with him, or even worse, listen, when we second guess him, and we call him a liar in our hearts and in our minds. He's still compassionate when we're ignorant. He's compassionate when we interfere. Lest we forget, the very woman that Sarah just sent away, this baby was her idea. You know, like, like she sends away, frees herself of Hagar and a potential co-heir in Ishmael, but this was her idea. Sarah's lack of faith initially got them into this whole thing. And so Abraham, who has been walking with the boy Ishmael, now 13, I mean, is having to send his son away. Not going to be in his life anymore. Loves his son. And because God had made a promise to Abraham and God was working in such a way that welcomed Abraham into his story, he blesses, he blesses Ishmael because of the love that he has for Abraham and because of Abraham's love for Ishmael. But he says, do what your wife has requested. How many of you, this would be so difficult. Can you imagine having to send away your own child? And... And it's just to make, well, I mean, most of us can't relate to this. Like, make the other wife happy. It's weird. <laughs> but like, this is her idea and God compassionately comes. And most of us don't, we don't get to see. In scripture, God doesn't show up like two times to someone. We don't see these multiple theophanies show up where, uh, where we see God so have such favor with Hagar in her innocence. And Ishmael, think about how innocent Ishmael is. He had nothing to do with this. He had no say. 
He just was brought into the world and loved his parents. And now he's sent away. And this experience where we see God show up and speak the very things that we saw the last time, God shows up to her and says, do not be afraid. Says it again. I mean, what favor does God have with the innocent? And that's kind of my third point. He's compassionate with the ignorant. He's compassionate with our, when we interfere. And he's compassionate with the innocent. Psalm 34, 18 says that he is close to the brokenhearted. He assures Hagar that she'll be redeemed. Hagar's visited this second time, and it's at this point of near death, but it's almost as if like, like God's working a miracle on both sides here. Much like the ovaries had to be dead. Much like the land had to be barren for God to bring fruit. He does it for Ishmael too. And he, when he shows up, he doesn't speak to the immediate need. He's going to provide for the immediate need. But what's he say? I'll make him a great nation. I'm with him. God reminds first about the long-term promises he made to, to Abraham and his offspring, Ishmael. So he assures the mother, Hagar, who's been innocently forced into this indecent proposal. Don't be afraid. I'm with the child. I'm going to make him a great nation. Oh, and because I know that you need me and I know that he has a need to survive right now. Here's water. Do not be afraid. I'm with him. How many of us have grown skeptical? How many of us have been forced into place of skepticism because we've tried to help in ministry before, but we see that beggar and they ask for money and we go, no, they're just a drunk. How many of us find ourselves coming off overpasses where we see newspapers being sold by the people who are far more needed than us and we immediately roll up our window and turn the other way and act like we're doing something so we don't catch eyes with them. Because we've been forced into a place of skepticism when it could be, it could be that they actually just need and maybe God has made long-term promises to them but we get to join God in those long-term promises by meeting an immediate need of theirs. Maybe it's just me, but I've, I've rolled past those people far too many times. I've been asked and I excuse them or excuse myself far too many times. And I don't think about the long-term impact that may have on someone. I mean, the scripture says we entertain angels. But what about, what about the ministry of just surely showing out of our kindness, out of our, out of our own hospitality, out of our own a blessed understanding that God has provided for us and we've been promised things. And out of that provision, we laugh like Sarah by giving away some of what God has given to us. And here's the thing, we don't dictate how they may use it. We just help meet a need. Third point, we're ambassadors of the promise. Not only do we get to partake in this promise, we're ambassadors of this promise. I could ask the crowd, are you Apple or are you Droid? And you've got an allegiance, right? Let's prove it. How many Apple users? Hands up. Woohoo! There you go. You've got an allegiance, and you don't have to be sold on how Apple's the, the better product. You can probably give us a litany of why you trust Apple over Droid, and that's where you're at. I want to read just one statement, one statement. This is, I'm not going to get into another narrative. If you want to go back and study about Abimelech, please do. It's awesome. It's an amazing story where you see, you see Abraham lie again, 
But this time he's inside the land. He's not outside the land. He lies about Sarah and the sister thing. Go back and read it. But here's what Abimelech says in verse 22. At the time Abimelech accompanied the Fichel, the, uh, by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, your God is with you in everything you do. Wow. Your God is with you in everything you do. What a testament. What a testament of Abram's faith. What a testament of... How many of you would love to hear this statement of your life from your coworkers, from your friends, from your neighbors? I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. And in everything you do, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace. I don't know your God, but your God is evident with you and he's blessing you even if just emotionally with stability. Hello? How many of us would love for this to be the testimony of our high schools? How many of us would love this to be the testimony of your office? That people look at you and they see a difference that is so distinct because you trust your ambassador of the promise of Jesus. You see, that's the importance of the story of Abraham. We've been invited in to Jesus' story. It's not our story. We've been invited into his Abraham was just a precursor narrative of how we can relate to Jesus. And we must all go through the pains of this broken world. It's empty. And the emptiness of self-worship. Hello? Anyone here believe their own hype? Battling the desire for comfort in this temporal existence that we call earth. We have to go through it so that we can find ourselves at altars like this in need of a savior and that nothing is concretely made right without him. How many of you have experienced in life the pain and the hurt of dysfunction? Nothing is made concretely right apart from him. He alone is God and he alone is honored and worshiped and our interpretations, our efforts may only mess it up. But here's the point. He's so perfect that his love can cover a multitude of our sin. And our our projections on him of like only experiencing skepticism in a world that's broken. He's like, I'm still bigger than that. I'm still God. Here's, Here's what I mean when I say that we're ambassadors of this message. It was a few years ago. I don't even know that my friend remembers this, but my friend Jason and I were sitting on a street corner and we're in downtown Nashville and this guy came up, it's winter. This guy walks up and we can tell he has the physical signs of being cold. We can tell he's cold. Jason didn't ask, what do you need? Or how can I help? He immediately, again, I don't think he remembers this, but it, it was like a five minute exchange, but it left such an impactful impression on me. I've never forgotten it. He immediately took off his shoes. He had these thick wool socks on. They're really nice. He took them off and immediately gave them to the man. And he didn't just give them to him. He said, hey, sit down, buddy. He took off his shoes and he, there were no socks there. And his, his decrepit feet and, and life being on the street, he covered those with those wool socks and he walked away sockless and just met this, meads, this man's immediate need. I hope this helps is all I heard him say. <laughs> we... How many times has God helped you when you weren't sure where help was coming from? And God did something that only God can do. Do the people in our lives know where our allegiances are? 
Because out of that answering, when we weren't sure, we respond to the world around us by meeting their immediate needs. We meet them in our hope, in our joy, and maybe, maybe we just meet them practically. Because here's the thing, in Matthew 5, it says that we're to love even our enemies. That's what distinguishes us. And Abimelech can be defined as nothing other than an enemy of Abraham. And his testimony of Abraham was, your God is always with you in everything you do. Jesus, please let that be the testimony of my life to even my enemy. Because that's what you desire, that's what you expect, and that's what changes the world that is broken and dysfunctional around us. I've known so many people, as I opened Genesis 21 today, who have personally walked through the pain of not having children and the ability thereof. And I've witnessed God miraculously open the womb of close friends. In fact, I spoke with one this week, and he did it in a time that was least expected. I, I actually was told that they were going to have a baby by the Lord three years before they did. And I, I was really scared to tell them that. But one night God put it on me so heavy and I said, I don't want to give you false hope. I just believe that God is going to open your womb. Three years after the fact, I'm taking baby supplies to my friend because they had given birth to a baby boy. And the testimony of my friend this week, because he almost lost the baby, he almost lost his wife in childbirth. For God to not only open the womb and then give them a child and then bring them into, you know, bring him into the world and then almost death. It was like, how could this be? How could this happen? And then life happens. And here's what, here's what my friend said. It was a miracle to the doctors. It was a miracle to everyone around. And he said this, my son's birth is a miracle to everyone around me. But for me, he's just a gift. He's just a gift. My God loves me. And you know what I love to do? Like my, like my father who loves me, I like to know the things that my son likes. I go home and I'll talk with him because I can talk to a son. I never thought I'd have a son. I can talk to a son. I get to sit with him and I ask him, hey, what cartoon do you like? And he tells me all about it. He tells me everything about that cartoon. I ask him what cartoon he watched that day and he tells me all about it. And you know what I do? I go out without him even knowing, without him asking, I go and get a stuffed animal from that cartoon. And I walk in and I give it to him. Why? Because I can because I just love my son and I want my son to know that the things that he thinks about, the things he cares about are important to me and I want him to know I support him in everything he does and I want to provide just like my father provided for me, I want to provide for him. How many of us are excited that God keeps his promises? How many of us, the world knows, the world around us knows that we're excited that God keeps his promises? How many of us this week would take a challenge that says this? How will you show and share your excitement about God keeping his promises with those around you? How many of you will show and share this week? Despite your skepticism, you'll laugh like Sarah in amazement at the provision and promises of God. You'll share your excitement about God with the world. Maybe it'll require, maybe it requires doing something unexpected. Maybe it requires doing something out of your ordinary routine. Maybe you just have to respond in obedience out of your ordinary tendencies. And here's the thing, listen, it may not even be as much for the person you're serving as it is for you. Just to show you, you can do what you never thought 
possible and that you're growing and that you're changing and that you're entering into this promise with a God that will never fail you despite how many times you or I may fail him. This morning, it's exciting that God keeps his promises and this son that was promised is just like the promises that he has given you and I. Father, this morning, as we come to your altar and we come to a place of response to the God who loves us and provides simply what we need and God has invited us into his story, may we be a people obedient to respond. May we be a people who do not respond in skepticism any longer, but this week take seriously Take seriously the opportunity to enter in yet again. God, too many times I take for granted your presence. Let us not take that this week. Speak to us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open us to see the ways that we can reveal you to the world and our hope that is in you so that it might offer them hope. And Father, this morning, will you start with us? Will you start with us here at this altar and at this table as we come to your table and remember the promise that you invited us into this Jesus story that had nothing to do with us but everything to do with how much you loved us that you would give him. Let us repent of how much we often and too, too many times make it about us. Father, this morning, this, this time, this time of response is about you. May we be a people obedient to respond to you in Jesus' name.